I want to thank, thank you all for coming. And that was a beautiful, wonderful worship service that we had. And those songs were, were great. And before we get started, I, I do want to recognize the birthday of my beautiful bride. Kat is, is celebrating her birthday today. Um, I, I did not want to leave that out, lest I get in trouble. And I don't want to wax on more about it, lest I also get in trouble. Right? Getting in trouble with my family has kind of been something that, well, that's, that's happened throughout my life. Right? My, my grandfather, on my mom's side, he, he was kind of a character. Right? He liked to joke around a lot. He had this... This, this idea, he convinced me that there was a little man inside the refrigerator. And so when we opened it up, he would run out and he would turn the light on. And then he would run back real quick and hide before we could see him. Well, I'm a little kid. I mean, I don't remember the exact age, but I'm young enough to believe it, right? And so as a little child, what do I want to do? I want to see that guy. And so how do you see someone who runs around real fast. Well, you open that refrigerator real quick, right? And guess what happens when you open it real quick? <laughs> right? All kinds of stuff banging around, things fall, and my grandfather walks in and whoosh, whap, upside the head. What'd you do that for? He's like, I just wanted to see the little guy. He goes, you farmer. Yeah, he called me a farmer, right? And he was a city guy, right? He's from Buffalo, New York. And, and so... Whenever someone would make him mad, bunch of traffic, man, look at all these farmers, right? Little kid opening up the, the refrigerator door, creating chaos, you little farmer, right? He would call him a farmer, right? Meaning, man, they don't really have any idea how to live in the city. So it was, it was kind of a derogatory term, right? It was, for him, it was not good to be called a farmer. Well, I wonder what he would think of the parables, both last week and, and in today's text. Right? Maybe, maybe being a farmer isn't so bad after all. Listen to our text today. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. He, Jesus, being Jesus, also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises. Night and day, the seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready... He sends for the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil, 
It is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable, privately. However, he explained everything to his own disciples. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you long to open the eyes of your disciples. And so we just ask that what we have heard you doing in our text today, that you would explain your kingdom and yourself to those who seek you, Lord, that you would continue to do that in our day. Father, we pray for wisdom that we may live well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So in a sermon titled, Fuel for Growth, today's big idea is that God's kingdom grows in proportion to the revelation and glorification of the divine Son. And so, to set the stage, so to speak, we're going to begin by defining the term mystery. Now, when we speak of mystery in the Bible, it's not a whodunit, right? It has nothing to do with Sherlock Holmes, right? Biblically, a mystery can be something about God we, we just don't understand, right? We don't get it. For example, the Trinity, right? The ones, the threes, the threes and ones, how that all works together, and right? We don't know. That's a mystery, But biblically, a mystery is also something that was once unclear in the Old Testament that is now plainly seen in the New. If you're familiar with Paul's writings, that's that's often how Paul uses the term mystery. And, And as we journey through the Gospel of Mark, what we are seeing is the unveiling of one of those types of mysteries, possibly the mystery of mysteries, that God has a divine son. God has a divine son. Right, in the New Testament, we hear the term son of God a lot. Like, we get it, right? The deity of Christ, it is one of the foundational beliefs of the Christian faith. But in the Old Testament, right, the term is not mentioned all that much. Now, there are some prophecies that they kind of hint at a divine son. We can see it because hindsight's twenty-twenty. Right? right? But, but it was essentially hidden. There are also other Old Testament references to sons of God, but they're not related to a divine son. For example, in Exodus, God refers to Israel as his firstborn son. In Genesis, we have the sons of God reference in chapter 6, and depending on who you talk to, those could be men or they could be angels. But here's the thing, whether human or whether angels, right, they're created beings. Right? They don't share God's nature. Right? They, are, they are not of the same substance. None of these sons are natural sons of God. You know, we often joke in my house that my dog waddles. Yes, that, that is her name, waddles. Right? And, and she is like that. She's a cute little fluffy dog, right? That, that she's my dog daughter. She's very attached to me, right? But in reality, 
truly, I just want to make sure you guys understand this. She's, she's not my daughter, okay? All right, she's a dog. I am human, right? So she's not my real daughter. I, I do have a daughter, right? Bella. She scooted out of here about five, ten minutes ago, right? And she's my actual daughter, right? <clears throat> After my kind, of my same nature and substance. And though I do love waddles, make no mistake about it, I love me some waddles, right? I also love my Bella more, truly and seriously. I really do. And in Mark's gospel, right, we're seeing this revelation that God does have a divine son, one that shares his nature and his substance, and one who is loved beyond our comprehension, right? We saw this in Mark chapter 1, one of my favorite passages, the baptism of Jesus, and the father declares of this son, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You know, sometimes words, they just kind of fail to get across the real meaning, right? We've all been in that position before, and, and I believe that this is one of those times, right? Do, do you think that the Father can look upon anyone or anything else in all of creation and utter that statement with the same feeling behind it? I don't think so. It's as if the Father was declaring, hey world, hey creation, hey everyone and everything, this is my son right here. And there is nobody like him. And he is greatly, greatly loved. The baptism of Christ was a beautiful announcement of the divine Son of God. And yet, there will be another one. A greater announcement. But more on that, just a little bit later. So, so far from Mark's Gospel... We know that this son was sent forth from the father. He took on a human nature, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, of the line of David, an Israelite descended from Abraham and given the name Jesus. Oh, and by the way, he just also happens to be the Messiah. Right? That's right. God is the long-awaited Messiah. Right? And because of that, because the Messiah is God, when it comes to the work of the Messiah, like that changes everything. Right? The, the, the focus shifts from the physical to the spiritual, from a realm and scope that, that humanity can understand. Right? Rome is the bad guys. We need this. Right? To, to one that is it's foreign to them. It's one they don't expect. Right? And, and as we know from prior sermons, this change, this surprise, God is your Messiah, it's caused some confusion, right? The reality of the Messiah and the expectations of the people, they're, they're not in line. And while Jesus is fulfilling prophecy concerning the Messiah, as God, he is also taking Judaic religious traditions and he's correcting them, right? The Sabbath, for example. Right? And we've seen the result of all this among the people. Some, they thought he was crazy. Right? They thought he was insane. Others, he's a threat and a rebel. And yet, some did have faith. 
And they did follow, although even though they did not truly understand what was going on. And last week, we began to see Jesus teaching in parables, right? His, his form of teaching kind of fit the spiritual temperature of the crowds following him, right? And we continue to see that this week, using common earthly pictures to explain heavenly ideas concerning himself and his kingdom. Some get it, and some don't. And we begin today looking at the parable of the lamp. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? I don't think Jesus was expecting to get an answer from the crowd when he asked this question, right? How would you like to be the guy who was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me, right? No, right? It's obvious. We don't light a lamp only to hide its light, right? That, that would be dumb. That makes no sense. We light a lamp so that it gives light, right? So that we can see. But what is it that we're supposed to be seeing? What is it that is being revealed? That, that's the question. Now sometimes as we approach a text like this or even this specific one, we can become a little too self-centered, right? Someday, God is going to reveal to me why this or why that happened. What's the meaning behind this or that? Or even, hey, if I, I just need to wait on the Lord to give me clarity on, should I go this way or that way? This way? That way? When? How? You know, all of these things. And though these aren't necessarily wrong, they're not the main intent of this portion of Scripture. Right? Consider the context. Right? What is the Gospel of Mark about? Let's all give the Sunday school answer. Come on, I want to hear it. Jesus, right? That's what they're all saying down there. We can do that. Try it again. What is the Gospel of Mark about? Jesus. Yes, very good. That He is God's Son. That He is the Messiah. Right? We're talking about His identity. And last week parable introduced about his kingdom right so what is being revealed i think it's a safe bet to say that what's being revealed is jesus as god as messiah in his kingdom and this also fits metaphorically biblically light usually signifies knowledge of god yes it is knowledge from him right but it's also knowledge from him about him and, and especially in relation to Jesus revealing to humanity, this is what God is like. In the Gospel of John, Jesus proclaimed about himself, I am the light of the world. Right at the beginning of John's Gospel, we read that no one has seen God, but the Son makes him known. And again, Hebrews says of Jesus, now, he is the exact imprint of God's nature, the, the brightness of his glory. And in Colossians, Paul testifies that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So what is it revealing that was once hidden? What is the lamp and the light revealing? Again, it's about Jesus, 
that he is the divine son and he has a kingdom. And it's no coincidence that immediately following this, Jesus gives a warning about how we hear his word. Pay attention to what you hear. Right? The message is clearly pointing to the fact that these parables specifically, and, and one could rightly say God's word in its entirety is primarily and first about God and his kingdom. Right? That is the overarching story of the Bible. What is the Bible about? Well, it's about many things, but primarily it's about God and his kingdom as revealed in Christ and everything else. Everything, the situations that we face, like right now, the decisions that, that, that we need to make, like right now in our lives, everything, it draws its significance, its point, and its direction from that unifying theme of God and His kingdom in Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, if you're like me, which I know, many of you are, right? We don't always heed this warning perfectly, right? We don't always heed this warning well. And so here are a couple common problems that we can run into hearing or reading the Bible well. First is obvious, right? We just don't care about God or his word. And so we're really not paying attention to it, right? And it's obvious, right? If, if that's your attitude toward God and his word, you're probably going to stay in ignorance and confusion about him, right? This is the whoever does not have, even whatever he has will be taken away from him. And, and this could be someone who is completely unsaved, right? Never have followed the Lord. Or this is probably all of us at certain times, someone who is saved, who has followed the Lord, but for whatever reason, now, right, we just kind of, we put our faith on the back burner a little bit. In whichever group you fall into, and heed this warning seriously, right? I, I hear often people talk about, hey, I, I have every intention of following the Lord, right? I, I know I need to, but first, I have to Right, fill in the blank. Right, first, there's something I need to take care of. And understand the danger of that based on today's text. Right, it's not going to get any easier. Right, it's not going to become magically, you know, every obstacle taken away for you to follow God. In fact, likely, it's only going to get harder as you continuously resist his call. And eventually, right, we run out of time. We run out of time. But that's not the only problem that we can run into. And again, here's another one I have been guilty of, and I'm sure we have all been here as well, right? We must pay attention to how we are reading, right? Are we really looking for something other than God and his kingdom, right? Are we kind of using God as a stepping stone to something else? 
Is he a means to some supposedly greater end? Right? Are we trying to make God's Word about something it's really not about? Or are we trying to emphasize something that really God's Word doesn't emphasize? Right? Are we trying to elevate something else to the status of God? Right? If this is you, and this has been all of us at some point in time, hear the word of the Lord. This is Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, reading God's word that way, that's not going to work. That does not work. And what it leads to is confusion and frustration. Again, whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away. But the news isn't all bad, right? I, I, I saved the good news for last, okay? <laughs> the news isn't all bad. God desires to be known. And for those who are seeking God and His kingdom through Christ, those who understand that this is not just primarily what the Bible and these parables are about, but this is actually what life is about, right? Because we're supposed to not just hear, but we're supposed to do what we hear, right? For them, God gives understanding, right? And we grow in our understanding. Our efforts, they're not wasted. For whoever has more will be given to him. What a wonderful encouragement. Come on in. The water's great, right? So we see that to hear well, to understand the parables in the Bible, and really, ultimately, to live well, we need to see that what is being revealed is that Jesus is the divine Son of God, and He is the King of a kingdom. And as we begin to look at the parable of the growing seed, we see that we're co-laborers with Him in building and revealing himself in his kingdom. Right now, we understand that God is the, capital T, sower, right? But in the parable of the growing seed, we also see he intends to use us, right? We see that in the fact that the man scattering seeds, he doesn't understand the process by which it grows, right? The kingdom of God is like this, he said, Jesus said, a man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. Right? We know from last week the seed is the word of God. It is the gospel. It is Jesus. The soil is the heart of man. The fruit is eternal life. Right? And God obviously understands all of the intricacies. Right? How all this works together. It's me. I don't understand all that. It's you. We don't get that. We don't get that. And that makes us the sower in this parable. As, as Hack stated last week, right? The good thing is, we don't have to get that. Right? We don't have to understand how it all works and why to participate in the work. Like the ancient farmer that knows when he sows, he's going to have a crop. Right? We understand when God's word is proclaimed and lived out, disciples are made. Right? We get that. Now, here's the thing, though. 
Even though we don't have to understand how it all works, we do have to understand the seed. We've got to understand the word. The placement of this parable after the first two sections of our text today shows that we can't just willy-nilly God this and God that, say something and slap a little Jesus on the end of it, and we're sowing seed. <clears throat> no, right? The better we know God, the better we hear, right? The more we preach Christ crucified, resurrected, ascended, and coming again with a kingdom that is beyond our wildest dreams, the better that we are going to sow. So we do have to pay attention to the seed that is being sown. See, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching the gospel, of glorifying himself and not us, of making him the point of everything and not us the point of everything. He has chosen that, which is a stumbling block to the self-righteous. It's ridiculous, right, to the worldly, where everything has to be about me, me, me. And yet it is the power of God to salvation and eternal life for those who do have ears to hear. He has chosen this to build his kingdom. And from this foolishness, in a very small and humble beginning, we see in the parable of the tiny mustard seed that grows into a large garden tree, it shows right, there's going to be tremendous growth. Right? This is the 30, the 60, and the 90 and the 100-fold increase from last week. Right? We are guaranteed progress. Right? God's kingdom will be built. He will build his church. And so it is absolutely worth our effort. Right? It's a guaranteed investment. But this parable does say a couple other things about this growth. Besides, it's going to be large. It's going to be large. First, though the growth is great, it's not without trouble. Right? Most commentators point out that the birds that are taking refuge in the branches, right, those are the pesky birds from the parable of the soils, right? the emissaries of Satan who are stealing God's word. Right? And so the growth of the kingdom it's, it's not without resistance, right? It's not without trouble. And, and we've all seen that, right? Whether it be false teachings, divisions within the church, just whatever problems Satan loves to, to start within and harass God's people, right? And yet, he hasn't been able to stop the growth. He hasn't. And as Hack stated, our very existence... The fact that you and I are here in 2024 in northern Fishers, Indiana, worshiping God is proof of the increase that God has given his word. It is proof that that is a wise investment and a good thing to be putting our efforts towards. And yet, we also do understand many of us have personally experienced the birds of the air pecking at us from inside the church. But if that's you, I don't want to encourage you. Right? That doesn't stop God. It hasn't taken him by surprise. 
right? The growth has continued on, and it will continue on. God is not, cannot be stopped. Cannot be stopped. And there is a, a second idea to this growth. Right? Though it's great, right, it begins slowly. It begins small. Right? Hack pointed that out last week. Right? The crowds will kind of ebb and flow during Jesus' earthly ministry. He'll get to the cross. Ghost town. Right? It's him. A couple of the women, the Apostle John. It's a small number. Even after the resurrection, as they're, they're waiting for the pouring out of the Spirit, is it 120? It's small. The growth begins slowly. Remember what I said about the beginning about there was a big revelation of the divine Son at Jesus' baptism, but but there's going to be something better, right? We see that through this public ministry, right, he continues to reveal himself, but, but there's still this confusion, right? Even up until his death, even up until his death, there's a, a lack of clarity about who he really is, a lack of clarity about the knowledge of God and his son and his kingdom. So things begin small. But remember, I also said at the beginning that there is a greater revelation of the divine Son coming. Understand this, through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, the gospel message that was divinely given to Paul, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to give understanding, God is revealed with a clarity that's never been seen before. The Father glorifies the Son, and the kingdom goes boom from 120 people. So at the end of Acts, right, it's gone from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. It's infiltrated the Roman Empire. It's gone from Jew to Gentile, right? And it has not stopped. And it won't stop. It won't stop until the end. Until the end. Understand, this is no coincidence that as the Son's glory is more clearly seen by man that the kingdom grows. Right? That didn't just happen by chance. Right? That's part of the plan of God. And, and understand this, through this plan, what we're getting a glimpse of is the inner life of God. Right? The eternal love that God has for himself. Specifically here, the love of the Father for the Son. Right, Loosen your sandals, folks. We're on holy ground here when we're talking about this inner life of God. Right? Why did the Father plan to grow the kingdom through revealing the glory of the Son? Because He loves the Son. The eternal divine love of the Father for His divine Son is put on public display through the Son being given a name that is above all others. Right? Making Him heir of all creation. And oh yeah, did I forget to mention? He's also being given a people. Right? That's us. Right? Being given a people 
To what? To see His glory. To love Him and to worship Him forever. What God is doing with His kingdom is taking this beautiful relationship that He has always had. And He's opening it up to us. Not in a divine way. We're not God. But in a creaturely way. Right? God sharing Himself with His people. Right? And in light of this, the most natural thing that we as His redeemed can do, right? one, of the, one of the greatest ways that we can image God, and really, if you want to bring it down to it, the way that we can really participate in eternal life now is by loving the Son and glorifying Him to the praise of the Father, through the enablement of the Spirit. And God, right? God being the good God that He is. Right? He has, he has placed that within your hearts, Christian. Right? You know it's there. You want to do it. Right? You love the Lord. And there is nothing better than praising God. Right? He doesn't frustrate that natural impulse. Right? <clears throat> Rather, He gives us means and opportunities to express it. We are co-laborers with Him. Right? He uses us to reveal His Son. And so our witness is really, it's just a public praise and glory of God. Right? So, what we're seeing is this. At times, we can take witnessing and we, we really make it something that it's, it's not. Right? We change the focus, and it's all about us. Right? It's all horizontal. And, and it turns into a sales pitch. We're trying to close the deal. Right? Or it turns into a, a high school debate club. Right? we got to win the argument. That's not what witnessing is, right? See, here's the thing. Witnessing is not so much about humanity. It is. It is. But what it's really about is God. Right? God is the subject, not us. Right? God is the one who has also given us the command to be witnesses, the enablement to be witnesses. It's about Him, primarily. And it's not so much about the unsaved and their need of eternal life. It is. It is about that. But it's also about the redeemed really living the eternal life that has been given us, right? To the glory of God and the benefit of humanity. That's what witnessing is. And though my, my grandfather did not have a high opinion of farmers, I think God has a high opinion of spiritual farmers. Right? But I think my problem, probably your problem too, too often we're gardeners. Right? We're, we're full-time something else. And on the weekend scatter a little seed. We're weekend warriors, right? 
So by God's grace, right, for his glory, for our good, and the benefit of all humanity, let's be farmers. Let's sow some seed.